Last week, we started talking about uh, what our dream house might look like, right? And we, we named some things and had a little bit of fun with that. And we asked the question, you know, what would you do if you won the lottery or you had a, a long lost uncle leave you some money? But then we talked about what a dream church would be. There's all kinds of churches out there, big churches, little churches. Everybody has their own opinion about what a church should do and look like and sound like. But the question we asked and the idea that we were drilling down on is what is God's dream for our church? Is God's dream of our church being a cool and a hip church or a beautiful and awe-inspiring church or a comfortable church where you never experience tension and hardship And last week, we referenced the statistic that nearly 89% of the state of West Virginia is unchurched or underchurched. That means people that don't have a church home. And that's a heartbreaking statistic. That's people that aren't actively living their faith or they don't know Jesus. So what do we do about it? Are we content with that? We went through a list of different approaches that churches have. There's the church that says, well, the city knows that we are here, right? Let them come to us. If they want what we have, they'll cross the great divide and come into our church. The next approach that church ha- uh, churches have is we'll invite them and we'll make things a little bit more welcoming. And those, that's a good thing to do. But for many, now we live in a state that's almost 90% unchurched. So does this idea of coming to a church even make sense? Is church even on their radar? So next approach that we talked about is, well, we'll give them a reason to come and we'll get their attention and we'll, we'll do big events and we'll make sure our coffee is really good and our music is really good and we'll make sure that they're hearing about us somehow. We'll have excellent social media But lastly, we talked about an approach that's really, 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 really old. And that's the approach that a church may have is let's take the church to them. Let's take the church to them outside the walls. Go and tell is the biblical model of the church. Living the great commission and the great commandment of loving God, loving people, and going. Every member is a missionary. Those of you in this room, those of you uh, online, you are a missionary. And the great thing about it is you are already on your mission field. See, the church is no longer the center of society, and it hasn't been for decades. In order to sell cars, you don't have to have a church that you belong to. People won't look down on you for that. In order to be a, a, a city politician, you don't have to attend church anymore. Church is no longer a prerequisite to being a quote-unquote good person. We are not the center of society, and we haven't been for decades. So we have two choices. We can hide in our church building, we can fail the mission that we've been given, and we can die. And churches in this city have done that. I'm not judging them. It's heartbreaking. But there are empty church buildings all around us, and we can choose that path if we want to. And we can say, well, it's their fault. They don't want what we have. We can blame youth sports. We can blame anything we want to. Or we can go and make disciples 
baptize them, and teach them to go themselves. Be the church on the move. Making disciples is not a suggestion. It's a command. Just like do not commit adultery. So this is God's dream for Clarksburg Baptist Church. Each of us, individually and corporately, loving God, loving people, and going. See, for the gospel to move forward, you need to take steps. Every member is a missionary. Jesus is the sermon, and you are the preacher. I'm trying to find ways to live this out, because before I present these ideas to you, I have to struggle with it. And if I don't want to do something, I can't preach it, right? That's called being a hypocrite. (laughs) And that happens sometimes, right? We're doing our best. But I'm trying to find ways that I can live this out, to be a missionary into our community, outside the church walls. Josh and I started going to the new Stone Tower coffee shop uh, up there at Jerry Dove Exit. We take our computers and work up there just to get outside of our offices. A few weeks ago, uh, we were talking to a lady that sat down next to us, and she just brought up like her son needing a youth group. And I am sitting there like, hey, this is a youth pastor right here. You should talk to him. And Ryan has been coming for like a couple months now. And her, uh, his mom has joined us in our life group on Sunday night. And it's because we chose to get outside of our comfort zone and get outside of our walls and be around people. That's weird, right? As Christians to on purpose do it. Now, it's not going to happen every time we go. But we're going to go and we're going to be ready and be willing and we're going to love people. We're going to make sure we tip the people that we're, you know, we're sitting there with and have a good testimony, take our trash, try and show the love of God and love people. Tori and I are coaching One King basketball team, uh, the third and fourth graders, just to get a chance to be around more people and expand our sphere of influence and then leverage that cause for Christ. Did we Need something to do on Monday nights and Saturdays to just fill our time? Absolutely not. But we decided to make a choice with our time to make a difference. Somehow. Tori and I are trying to brainstorm how we can uh, be better neighbors, too, and get to know our neighbors better. We, We live on a street, and we know our neighbors pretty well on that one street, but we live in a whole little neighborhood, and we don't know the person on the next street. We're trying to find ways that we can get together, not just to blurt out John 3.16, but to love them and to get to know them and then to offer them the hope that is found in Jesus Christ. We're asking those questions right now. How do I order my life to have the biggest impact for the gospel? Not just to give a little bit of time on a Sunday to call myself a Christian, but to live the gospel outside the walls. Now, these aren't big things. You're not impressed by any of these things, and I understand that. These are small sacrifices that we're trying to make to start gospel relationships with people in our community. And some of it's not just going out of our way to meet people. Some of it's not breaking relationships before we ever even have them. Uh, The other day, Noah and I were sitting at a red light, and the person in front of us put their car in reverse, and backed up into my Jeep at a red light. I'm not sure what he thought he was doing. Uh, My flesh wanted to jump out, 
and call them stupid and all the different names that a pastor shouldn't call people, right? Maybe, you know, start some fisticuffs. But I took a breath and I tried to ask myself, what would Jesus do in this scenario? So I got out of the car and I said, hey man, are you okay? He said, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, I'm just stressed out. I've had a rough day. I said, hey, don't worry about it. I have a big winch on the front of my car that I don't know how to use. I got a big bumper, all that kind of stuff. So it didn't hurt my car at all. It wasn't a big deal. I wasn't even going to get his insurance and stuff. It, 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 it wasn't a big deal. So I said, hey, don't worry about it. I hope your day gets better. And he's like, well, let me give you my phone number uh, just in case something ends up happening later on. So the next day, I just thought about how his first reaction was not like I made a mistake. His first reaction was, I'm struggling. I'm having a bad day. And, and this just made it worse. So I texted him and said, hey, I just want you to know there's no problem. Don't even worry. Don't even think about that again. And I want you to know I'm here if you ever want to talk to me and, and you ever you know, want to talk through what you're going through. I'm not telling you that because I'm trying to impress you. I'm telling you that because that's not me. That is not what I wanted to do. I wanted to yell at him. I wanted to say you're an idiot. I wanted to do some hand gestures maybe that uh, you know, pastors, once again, shouldn't do. But I'm making a decision that I don't want to be that person. I don't want to be my flesh. I want to be like Jesus, and I want to be different. And my hope was that one day that guy will text me back and say, hey, I do need to talk. Hey, you were, you were nice to me, and, and I do need someone. Loving God and loving people and going and taking the next step. How can I leverage my life to bring God glory? And how many times have I ruined opportunities like that by taking the opportunity to share a piece of my mind with somebody? How many times have I not even noticed because I'm in a bad mood or I'm, something happened or, you know, whatever we may say? During this pandemic, we, we said that we were going to learn to be different, Right? We said we were going to learn to care more about community. We said we were going to care more about people because we realized how hard it is to be isolated. And we don't want anybody to ever feel that way. But how quick did we forget once we were able to take our masks back off and we didn't have to distance and, and things were okay last summer? How many of y'all really changed? I don't know about you, but I struggle to make this a priority in my life, to live a life that is just saturated with the gospel. But what is the gospel, right? If I'm going to tell somebody the gospel, I say this word all the time as a pastor, and it's a Christian word that we use, but what does that even mean? What do I do if, I, if someone asks me why I am a Jesus follower? As a Christian, we have to have answers for this, right? This is the basis of your faith. You need to be ready to answer this question. You need to run through your mind. You've you got to get ready for a time when someone might say, well, why are you a Christian? Why do you go to church? What makes you not you know, say every expletive in the book when you drop something on your foot? Why are you different? 1 Peter 3.15, Peter tells us and explains this very clearly. He says, but in your hearts, 
revere Christ as Lord. And then he says this, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. And then this next part's real important too. It says, but do this with gentleness and respect. So if I came off this stage and I grabbed a microphone and I put it in your hand, would you be ready to give an answer for the hope that is in you? Are you prepared to always explain the simple gospel? See, the gospel literally just means good news. Everybody say good news. Good news, right? That's not hard. That's not scary. One more time. You ready? Good news. How many of y'all heard enough bad news in the last two years? Right? The gospel is the opposite of all the things we've heard. The gospel is good news. Hey, you have a message and it is exciting. It is filled with hope. And there is no other gospel. There is only one. The gospel is the good news of Jesus. John 14, 6. Jesus said to them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It's not the good news of doing good works. It's not the good news of church membership. It's not the good news of of even giving in the offering or, or any good deed that you can add, although those things are important after you have the good news. The gospel is Jesus. And if you try and reject Jesus from the gospel, it's no longer the gospel. If you add anything to the gospel, but Jesus and what he did on the cross, it's no longer the gospel. The gospel is how we get to God and have a relationship with him. Acts 4.11 through 12 says, this, is the, uh, this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you. He's talking about how he is our foundation, but people reject him. He says, this Jesus is a stone that was rejected by you. The builder, which has become the cornerstone. And this next part says there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which you must be saved. You might have somebody, and I'm not, I'm not being harsh, I'm not being mean, but you might have some people in your life that say that they're a Christian. And what really means is that they're not an atheist. Right? They, they say that they believe in God. And that's a good start. That's okay. But there is salvation in no other name than Jesus. There's no other way to get to God than through Jesus. Mark 1.14. Uh, Jesus says at the end uh, of his ministry uh, to point towards the good news. And here at the beginning he says it too. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And it's true. Look, it's true that the gospel is an infinitely deep well. You can never get to the end of its beauty. You can fill all the volumes of all the books in the entire world with the beauty of the gospel. But it's also true that it is so Simple, that a child can understand it. In fact, Jesus said to be saved 
and to believe in the gospel, to have a relationship with God, each of us has to come like a child. Matthew 18, 2. Jesus brought, he's talking to some people, and he brought a child to stand next to him. He put him right in the midst of them. And he said, truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child, he's showing them this child. He said, whoever humbles him like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus brought this child to show them an image of what he wanted them to understand. He wanted them to remember this picture of this child. Humility and childlike faith are what Christ is looking for in a follower. See, children are not self-sufficient. Children do not have many accomplishments to hang their hat on. Children, although they are incredibly smart... They do not have the experience that brings wisdom. Children don't have a degree in theology. But they can have a faith as strong as anyone else in the world. So although we're commanded to give it an answer for the hope that is in us, we don't have to wax eloquent for hours because the truth is, is that Jesus said, no one comes to him unless the Father draws them to me. It's not about you being so convincing that people are like, finally, okay, I'll, I'll choose God, I guess. You, you tricked me. You convinced me. No, you throw the gospel out there and God draws people to himself. Jesus is the sermon and you are the preacher. But the Holy Spirit is the one that does the saving. And there's nothing that you can do to save someone except tell them the good news. And let the Holy Spirit do his work. Now, there are many great plans and ways to share the gospel with people. The Romans Road is one of them. There's another plan that's called the three circles that I really like. But I prefer to use the four simple steps of the gospel. And that's what the card is in your pew if you want to grab that real quick. This is, there's many ways, and I'm not even saying this is the best way. I'm just saying this is the way I do it. So I want to go through this with you so you can shove this in your Bible somewhere, put it on your fridge and and study it and to remember it. So why? That you're ready to give an answer for the hope that is in you with gentleness and respect. So if you look at that card, there's four things. And this is going to sound real familiar because I do this at the end of every single message that I've ever preached almost. There's four things you need to understand and believe in order to become a follower of Jesus. And know that you have a right relationship between you and your maker, God the Father. The first thing you need to do is you need to recognize that you're a sinner. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every single one of us has lied and cheated and stolen and hated and had wicked thoughts. And because of our sin, a holy and a perfect God, because he is just cannot be in fellowship with us. And he can't allow us into his presence in heaven. That sin is a barrier. We need to recognize next the penalty for our sin. Romans 6.23 tells us that. It says, for the wages of sin is death. And that's more than just a physical death. That is a separation between you and God. 
forever in a place called hell. And every person that has ever lived has a free will. And you can choose to pay the penalty of your sin if you want to. But the next thing is true. You need to know that Christ paid the penalty already. Romans 5.8 says, But God commended His love towards us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You can pay the penalty and say, I reject God. I don't want his gift. But Jesus paid the price already. He did it for you. 2,000 years ago, God in the flesh was born into this world. And he lived a perfect and a sinless life. He preached and did miracles and told people that he would die and raise from the dead. And then he did it. And an innocent person died for all of us guilty people. And the last thing you must understand. First, you need to know that you're a sinner. There's a penalty for that sin and that Jesus paid that penalty. And lastly, you must put your faith in Jesus Christ. You must lay down your faith in your good works, turn from your sin, and put complete trust in only what Jesus did on the cross to restore that relationship with God and cover your sin. Romans 10, 13 says, For whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. There's so much more that you can say. And again, you need to ask the Holy Spirit to lead and guide these conversations. Ideally, you have built a relationship with a person. You built trust with a person, and they know that you love them. Perhaps you've even had conversations about their faith background and listened to their story, and maybe even uh, have gotten the chance to tell your story as well, how Christ has changed your life. There is no cookie-cutter solution. I wish I could say that one, two, three, four, and everybody in the world is saved. This is not what that is. No, you listen to the person, and you let that help you know what to say next with the Holy Spirit's guidance. Going and telling, being ready to give an answer for the hope that you have. Love God, love people, and go. And the good news is that through Jesus, God has the power to save all that believe on Jesus and turn from sin to follow him. So we aren't waiting for opportunities for people to come to us so that we can share the gospel with them. Now that does happen every once in a while. We see this happen with Nicodemus approaching Jesus and saying, what must I do to be saved? But Nicodemus had a church background. And this is not the norm. We need to be intentional. And for the most part, you're going to need to build a relationship with people in your sphere of influence and then bring up Jesus. No, not just blurted out, but in a natural way. A way that asks the question, are they ready to listen? And with prayer, you're asking that question, God, are they ready to have this conversation? And then you share that hope that you have with gentleness and respect. Rich Philotus says this, to be on mission is a multifaceted endeavor. God invites us to consider our personalities, context, experience, and discerningly participate in what he is already doing. Being on mission doesn't require us to be intrusive or awkward or coercive. I almost got that right. It should be a normal experience. It doesn't have to be weird. 
Being a good witness doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to take a bullhorn on to a subway and preach the gospel. No, more often it means showing people in our life that Jesus has transformed our life and then telling them about it. And maybe that means if you're an introvert, you have put, put that part of your personality to decide for the gospel. Maybe this means you start a new hobby to meet new people because all the people you know are in the church so that you can expand your sphere of influence and tell more people about Jesus. Maybe this means you change your behavior and attitude at work to better line up with the message of the gospel. See, as Jesus followers, we are commanded to go, and that means leveraging our life, our resources, and our relationships to further the gospel. Paul said he did this in 1 Corinthians 9.22. He says, to the weak, I became weak that I might win the weak. I've become all things to all people that I by all means might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I might share with them in its blessings. Leon Morris says, Paul was prepared to go to extreme lengths to meet people. Personal considerations are totally submerged in the great aim of by all means saving some. N.T. Wright says this about this passage. He says, the point is, is that there are people out there beyond the present Christian fellowship who need to be one. A word that Paul uses five times in this passage before finally changing it to save. The word is used not so much of winning a prize, but of making significant profit in an investment. God has invested everything in the gospel including his very own self in the person of Jesus, his son. And now he wants to gain something back from that, namely people of all sorts and conditions whose lives will be won through the gospel. Christ invested everything. He went all in on the gospel to bring us back to God. And Paul here says, I'm ready to invest in the gospel, even if it means that I have to do things I don't necessarily want to do or become interested in things that isn't necessarily interesting to me. Why? Because Paul's attempting to love God and love people, and he's decided to obey the command to go. Now, we do need to be sure that we avoid telling people about Jesus just to build some sort of spiritual street cred, right? Or alleviate some kind of guilt in us. For my bachelor's degree, I went to a very conservative Bible college in Arkansas. And I do not regret that, number one, because I met my wife through that relationships I built there. And also there's a lot of good things that came from that experience. But one thing, looking back on, I, I do have a little bit of a struggle with some things. And one of those things is this. When I was attending Bible college there, I had a requirement each week to go door to door and knock on people's doors and try and witness to them for one hour every week. And in that hour, I had to completely get out a gospel presentation from beginning to end. So that means if I was trying to use this simple gospel plan that I just gave you, I'd have to get through all four of those points every week. And the problem with that is this. I was doing that 100% on 
Not because I love that person, but because I had to. And not just because I had to, because I didn't want to get in trouble. And I didn't want to, to, to get some type of reprimand. I never considered in myself, was this person ready to have this big conversation? Sometimes people were holding groceries while I blurted out the gospel to them. Or mowing their lawn. And I never asked that question. Are they ready? Are they in the place? Am I being loving right now? I've knocked on hundreds of doors and, and blurted out the plan of salvation over and over. And many times those people had no interest in hearing it. And you're probably not surprised that that didn't work either. It was 100% about me. I had to check off a box. I didn't care if they were in the right headspace to talk about these things. So we don't want to be like that either, right? We want to show people a transformed life. We want to show people and invest in people. We care legitimately about. And then we tell them about Jesus. Why? Because we love them. Not to get a spiritual attaboy. And yes, this is going to take a lot longer. It's going to take sacrifice. It's going to take love. It's going to actually take caring about someone other than myself. To love God and to love people and go. The dream church is a church on the move, outside the walls of the building, a mobilized church. Every member, a missionary, to the mission field of their work, their friends, their neighborhood, their gym, their coffee shop, their new experience that they've never taken part in, but they're going to jump into something so they can meet new people and leverage those relationships for the gospel. People that are prepared and ready to go and give an answer for the hope that they have in Jesus. And perhaps you use this, this plan at some point when they're ready to hear and the Holy Spirit tells you, okay, now's the time. And you tell them that they, they, they got to recognize that just like you are a sinner, they're a sinner. And there's a cost for their sin. And that Jesus already paid the cost. And you simply need to put your faith and trust in Jesus and accept the gift he's already given you. Not to get some points on a spiritual scoreboard, but because we love people and we want them to have the hope that Jesus brings. There are people out there that are looking for answers. And you might say, well, people have rejected God. And that's not necessarily true because when they do research and surveys, people are more spiritual maybe than they've ever been before. They're just not interested in the church. So let's get outside the church and show them why they should be interested in church because God loves them. And be something. Be a representative of Jesus out in our community. Are we ready to become all things to all men that we might by all means save some? Maybe that means we start hanging out with a couple people from work. And yes, husbands, you can use this excuse. To go out to Buffalo Wild Wings and watch a football game and say, wife, I'm trying to leverage my relationships for the gospel. Brandon's already, he's writing everything down. I can see him right now. We've got to do this. Showing people that we care. Being real about our struggles. And then praying with them about their struggles. And speaking the words of life into their problems. It's not enough just to, to uh, you know, show them Christ, although that's the first step. You've got to tell them. The words have to come out at some point. 
As many as 89% of the people in West Virginia need someone like you to say yes because they're never going to come inside these walls. God's dream for this church is a church that's ready to go. A church that's on the move. A mobilized church just like the early church. But there was a time when the early church drugged their feet and stayed in Jerusalem until persecution came. And once that persecution came in Jerusalem, they scattered to the uttermost parts of the earth. I believe God is telling us in this time, right now, that it's time to scatter into our city and our country. You creating pockets of hope in a dark world. There's no use keeping all the light in one room. It's time to light up the dark. Church has never been about gathering a bunch of people in a room to sit quietly. Yes, we gather together to celebrate, and this is an important time for us. But we have to grow in our faith together, and that means acting out our faith, because faith without works is dead. Then we give of ourselves, of our time, our talents, our treasures, and we serve people and serve Jesus like never before. Love God, love people, and go. The words that we use around here are gather, grow, and give. You could say worship, community, and mission. We've got to have all these things. So missionaries that are sitting in our pews, missionaries that are listening online, where is your mission field? Where's your little church outpost? Is it at work? Is it in your neighborhood? In your friend group? Praying together with hurting people? Sharing God's words together with them? Serving them in Jesus' name? Let's start praying for God to show us where our church outpost is. Put, uh, to, for God to put a burden on us, to show us our people, and to give us a heart for our mission field, and give us the boldness, and give us the opportunity, and to lead us. Missionaries, you are sent. Go. Every head's bowed and eyes closed. As the worship team comes, we enter this time of reflection and meditation about what God wants us to do. That's what this part of the end is. It's been called an invitation. And what that means is it's an invitation for you to say yes to whatever God has spoken to your heart about. This part at the end of of the... uh, the message is not just a, a thing that we do to fill time. This is the time when we decide, God, am I going to say yes to what you just spoke to my heart about? So as Andy quietly plays, that's the question for you. You might think this is, yeah, that's great stuff. I hope that works out for everybody. No. If you're a follower of Jesus, 
you are called to full-time ministry with your life. You might never take a paycheck from a church, and that's awesome. But you are sent, just like I am. You may never stand on a stage and, and preach a sermon, but your life preaches louder than I ever could, or any pastor ever could. You're the Billy Graham to the FBI. You're the Billy Sunday to UHC. You're sent to preach the love of Jesus to people that are hurting, people that are lost, people that need hope. So will you answer the call? Missionary, will you answer the call to go to your mission field? You got to be ready to give an answer for the hope that you have in you. Maybe you're here today and for the first time you had someone spell out what the gospel was to you. You've been real confused about it because people use it in all sorts of ways. But we gave you the four steps. And yeah, you know, dividing these things in four steps is it's just something we do to make things more understanding, more understandable much more fluid nuanced but you got to recognize you're a sinner and anyone that's honest with themselves knows that if I was braver I could stand up here and give you every sin that I've ever done and you'd be appalled by it why because I'm a sinner the Bible tells us you are too and that's bad. Because sin separates. Sin breaks relationships. Not just with us and God. It breaks relationships with us and our spouse, our parents, our siblings, our friends. Sin always breaks relationships. Because sin is choosing my way over God's way. That causes a problem because it causes a rift between us and God. A great gulf between us and God that we can never cross. Except that Jesus is the bridge. Jesus made a way. God in the flesh, the only perfect person to ever live, 100% God, 100% man. Only he could die for all of our sins. And he did it. He laid down his life on a cross. And he took all the punishment that we deserved. But he didn't stay dead. He broke the chains of sin and death forever. And he rose from the grave on the third day, bringing our salvation with him. And the Bible tells us that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That gift is extended to you. Christ will pay the price of your sin. So if you're here today and you don't know for sure that heaven is your home, 
It's not a magic prayer. It's not a weird poem or some kind of spell or something. No, it is a decision in your heart to let go of all the good works that you've ever done and put all your faith in what Jesus did on the cross to save you, to bring you back into a relationship with God. Why don't you call out to him right now? That's you. You've never done that today. Hey, make that choice today once and for all. There's no better thing to do. Don't you think your life will be better with a relationship with God? The one that made you? It won't always be easy, but it'll be worth it. Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. God, I pray you'd send us. Give us such a burden on us that you're constantly bringing people up into our minds that we need to start relationships with. Or give into those relationships so that they might come to know you. Or maybe they're a Christian and they are a follower of Jesus, but they're, they're floundering and they're alone and they don't have connection. God, send us. Help us to answer that call. In your name we pray. Amen.